wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday right here on Faith FM. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you uh, right now. Uh, This week, we're taking as our theme, used and abused. Is there a place for biblical morality in the third millennium? And today, we're asking one very simple question. Is biblical morality out of date? What a question. Uh, I can think of a variety of responses to that. Um, today, our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher. Now, David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Now, welcome to you, David. How are you, Gary? And it's really good to be back with you, and uh, it's great to be on air and to join our listeners. Uh, it is fantastic to be able to be be in here. You know, I, I'm really excited to be back in the studio once again. I have had a little bit of a a little bit of a break, um, but you know, one of the uh, really exciting things is to be able to sit down and start talking and to our listeners I love being able to talk to our our listeners what's tell me David what have you been up to lately have you been riding your bike I well I've been paving uh, in my time off lately and um, I've actually done some Pilates believe it or not with my wife <laughs> You've done um, Pilates. Yeah, I know. It's a sin. In, it's a sin. That's in full leotards, is it, David? No, 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 no. Oh, no I'd love not. to see you in full leotards. I really would. Uh, I'm worried for you, Gary. <laughs> no, we, no. I've been yeah travelling a bit, and uh, but I have been riding. Um, not in the last couple of weeks, but I've been doing more riding, and I need to do more. But uh, I find it's really good to get out there and be active to de-stress, if you yeah, like. Yeah. Of, of course, the really good thing is that uh, uh, this Sunday we lose daylight saving. I call it daylight robbery because I hate this. With a, at the present time, I'm doing my seven and a half k's in the morning, but I'm doing it before the sun gets up. This is ridiculous. I'm so looking forward to daylight robbery disappearing. Whereas in America, I think there are some places that are looking at um, daylight saving all through the year. What an abomination. Yeah, I, 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 I did hear that as well. I did. Well, um, but David, I understand that you sleep in till eight o'clock most mornings. No, look, I'm up at six or just before and um, so I need to get to bed early, probably to bed between 11 and 10.30 and midnight. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, look, look, just tell me, just just one last question. What good things are happening in South Australia at the moment? You're the lead pastor down here. Um, good things are happening? Yeah, look, I think God is really blessing and working. I was um, worshipping with um, a particular church on uh, on Saturday last week, and uh, there was a whole contingent of young people, some for the very first time that have walked in from other denominations, others that are international students. Uh, and here is young people that are really... Um, Effervescent, full of life, um, looking to journey with the Lord. Um, number of our churches, we, we had an elders concert where we brought the elders together, invited mm. them to come together from a number of churches. And we had a lady up from the southeast of Adelaide, about four hours drive, a place called Narracourt, small town. And, um, she went to this community as, as the only Adventist, regular attending Adventist. Mm-hmm. There are now three core people, but they're averaging a three core Adventist there. They're averaging in this little community about about 20, 25 people a week 
all because of simple connections with people and yeah. being intentional and being led by the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's happening more and more. I'm just so conscious that what's occurring at the moment, people are seeing our world is changing, our world is on a knife edge. And as a result, questions are being asked that certainly I'm, I'm so conscious that the secular person hasn't asked uh, for a long, long time. Gary, I, I was uh, doing some chapels at one of our <coughs> church schools today, this morning, and um, about 40 minutes south of Adelaide, and, and I spoke spoke with the pastor afterwards and he's got this preaching theme that they've been doing um, for a couple of weeks on the end of times, why all these troubles, etc. And uh, he mentioned to me that he had this man walking off the street. And I know it's happening in numerous congregations yeah. and denominations right across Australia. And this particular man says, I want to study. Um, I want to study scripture. And, and so this is what's happening. So we're living in tumultuous times that create tremendous opportunities and call mm. for God's people wherever they may be to step up and share what God has given them. Yeah, yeah, no, just so very, very true. Now look, Dave, look, let's come to our World Watch segment because this is a really significant uh, portion of our program. Now today we're talking about this question, is biblical morality out of date? Now just last uh, Friday um, I, I was reading a, a commentary in one of the um, uh, in one of the publications that I follow, and they referenced um, the Washington Times uh, publishing an article uh, that was entitled, Dear Christian Parents, You're Failing Miserably. Uh, well, I actually went uh, when searching for that uh, for that particular article. I came I came up with it, and um, it was actually a report on the most recent Barna uh, research report. Now, this is what the article uh, in the Washington Times said, and I believe this is uh, March. Tw- this is March twenty five uh, this year. So this is just a matter of a couple late of last, um, late, late, late last week. Late, oh, last week, exactly. And this is what uh, uh, what what was written. Dear Christian parents, you're failing miserably. Now, hey, I don't like, um, you know, that, that sort of statement, but that's what the article says. Uh, the pervasive guilt I feel typing these words is insurmountable, yet we cannot keep denying the agonizing reality. Culture is engulfing us. Survey after survey reveals the absolute moral insanity bubbling underneath the surfaces of our churches, Christian communities, and most disturbingly our own hearts recent research conducted by George Barner and the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University yielded horrifying results particularly for anyone claiming the Christian mantle Mr. Barner found 67% of parents of preteens today now David you're a parent of, uh, of pre- two, pre-teen. two teenagers yes, okay. um, cl- uh, 67% of parents of preteens today claim to be Christians this is of course in America yet just 4% of these individuals hold to what would be considered a biblical worldview. This means only a tiny fraction of those claiming to embrace biblical sentiments actually live out and authentically believe in what they claim to hold dear. The crisis has two significant implications. The first is spiritual. The second one is societal. Now, on the spiritual front, our culture is crumbling by every measurable metric uh, with faith, morals, ethics and values evaporating at an alarming rate. Now, this is in a secular uh, um, um, newspaper. Meanwhile, just 4% 
of preteen Christian parents hold a biblical worldview. Virtually no one appears prepared to guide kids in the right directions. Yet the Bible provides an unequivocal mandate. Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. But how can the 96% of self-professed Christians who have no solid biblical worldview send kids in any direction that even resembles rightfulness when they know so very little about it? Christians have, in most cases, admirably spent decades uh, trying to carry the gospel to the culture and somehow... Under believers' noses, the culture instead uh, brought its hopeless, self-centric, diabolical creed into the church. And believers have just let it happen. Now let's discuss the societal implications. Even if you're an atheist, you'll be remiss to ignore the remarkable data proving providing the uh, proving the power and importance of church-going and faith to individual and public health. Study after study correlates faith allegiance with positive mental health outcomes. Regular churchgoers are more likely to report having healthy relationships, better emotional health, and more satisfaction than their non-churchgoing counterparts. The statistics are very remarkable, especially when so many are looking for answers as suicide and overdose deaths abound. In this case, following the science would force atheists, secular, those who are secular, and other skeptics to admit that individuals and society at large are immeasurably better off when people go to church and embrace faith. If Christians hope to make any cultural impact, though, then uh, the people shaping the next generation, the parents of preteens who say they're Christian but hold no biblical worldview, must be courted, corrected, and started off in the path they should go. Pick up a Bible, the article says. Assess your perspective. Question whether you're allowing culture to cloud your spiritual lenses. After all, the fate of your children's spiritual destiny and our nation's direction depends on it. Now, David, when I sort of read that article, I thought, wow, that's a fairly powerful article. So I kept on searching, and what I came to was uh, uh, the original source document, which is actually the uh, uh, the Barna Research. It's the American Worldview Inventory. And look, folks, if you want to get this and have a look at it, it is available online. It's, av- it's, uh, it's called the American Worldview Inventory 2022. It uh, comes from the Cultural Research Center at the Arizona Christian University, and it's release number two: the strengths and weaknesses of what preteen parents believe and do. And uh, this is just one of the practical implications of the research that Barna himself points out. This is what he says: uh, the survey. Outcomes highlight the difficulty young children face in becoming biblical Christians. Now, that really hit me, the difficulty that young people face in becoming biblical Christians. Parents, and then he makes this statement, this is Barna, parents are both role models 
and gatekeepers for their children, explained George Barner, Director of Research at the Cultural Research Centre at Arizona Christian University, which conducted the research. Uh, there is very little uh, concern uh, he spoke of the parents, saying there is very little concern about biblical or spiritual development of young people amongst those currently raising preteens. As Barna notes, the result is that most parents are setting up their children for constant exposure to inappropriate influence. Barna connected the dots concerning concerning between worldview experiences and lifestyle choices of young people. Their parents... Uh, often are their parents of these young people often uh, often than not send signals or make statements indicating that there are no right or wrong choices only choices that feel right or deliver personal happiness according to barna parents these days often feel guilty imposing their views on children having brought into notions that imparting guidelines to their children is overbearing and intolerant. You know, as I read this, David, you know, the, the whole thing just started to uh, leave me leave me wondering. I mean, how does this research impact you? I mean, you, you have young children. I'm a grandfather. Um, but, you know, how, how does this impact you? It's very concerning, Gary. I guess it's... Not a shock, sadly. Um, as a parent, as a Christian parent, there is a war, isn't there? There is a war of trying to um, protect your children while also allowing them to grow up to make their own decisions. And I, and I think one of the really interesting things that this report raised is uh, when Barna said that parents are both role models and gatekeepers for their children. A- and often what a parent professes, well, not often, children will listen to what parents say, but they will watch what their parents do. Right. And so as role models, they might say, this is what we should do, but they'll do something different. As a gatekeeper, however, as a gatekeeper, parents should be there to protect, put boundaries and put borders around what is appropriate and not appropriate. And I think one of the other... um, one of now, the, David, that's that's really significant what you've actually said there because uh, this concept. I mean, most uh, most parents would certainly agree that I've spoken to that it's important that they be role models for their children. But you're saying here that you're agreeing with Barna when he says that parents should also be gatekeepers. I mean, isn't that imposing on your children? Your own personal views. And that's what Barna says, that according to parents, these days they often feel guilty imposing their views on their children, having bought into the notions that imparting invaluable guidelines to their children is overbearing and intolerant. And really this is culture permeating the mindset of Christians, that um, children can make up their own mind, you're... you're, um, stopping their freedom, you're stopping their development, you're not letting them have their own way and and having their own way, all roads lead to Rome. What is truth? Truth is what feels good or what is right to you. And so that is really confronting that many parents feel guilty imposing uh, their views on their children's, um, on on what they choose to do. And yet this is one of the roles of a gatekeeper. Mm. I mean, 
How do you do that? I mean, uh, this is something, I mean, don't you get, I mean, I mean, many parents would, you know, certainly, I mean, I, I've spoken to a lot of parents and, uh, and some would say that that's going to bring rebellion from the, uh, from the children. Um, I mean, is imposing my, I mean, how do you become a gatekeeper in such a way that the young people want to accept that which the parents are providing? Yeah, and if you if the answer to that was really simple, um, a society would be different. Look, as parents of two uh, teenagers, a thirteen and a sixteen year old, um, this is a continual challenge. It brings us to our knees in prayer, uh, and we have two wonderful children. Uh, and thank God that instilled in them is a sense of of right and wrong, mm. and that's because boundaries have been put in place. But it's still a continual challenge um, with what social media throws, the access to the World Wide Web, and, and we're, we're very careful with boundaries we've put in place. But I was watching something the other day or listening to something the other day with a reporter talking about that the damage that is being done to children who have access to things such as TikTok and other social media platforms where they're seeing, um, you know, parents are against uh, often dangerous and violent video games, mm. but they're now seeing with the, the, the war in the Ukraine uh, on places like TikTok, this unfettered continual um, uh, violence portrayal of what's happening in real life. Mm-hmm. And what this reporter was saying is that with mainstream television, there is a reporter that will give some sort of uh, story around it. But on places like TikTok, all you're seeing is this footage mm. and it's not giving the children haven't developed enough to be able to understand, break it down and work through it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the roles as a gatekeeper as a parent is because the child hasn't yet developed is to one to protect your children mm-hmm. to protect them from things that they don't need to see to to get to a point where um, they still live in a world of reality but they know what is right they know what is wrong and that you're giving them the tools and the keys so that they can make wise choices okay at, at what age david do you start placing the i mean do you start becoming the gatekeeper do you start becoming you know establishing boundaries because i, I know i've sort of uh spoken to, to to some parents that have sort of uh suggested that hey you know as the child gets older you know then we'll you know then we'll reason with them and you know at what age do you start putting uh, putting boundaries in place yeah look um I guess let me put a caveat on this, Gary. As, as a Christian parent and, and as a, a minister of religion, you, you pray for your children and you pray that they will one day make a decision for Jesus and they'll make positive life choices yeah. and, and in the right direction. Uh, but we also believe in freedom of choice, don't we? Yeah. And so as a, as a Christian parent, um, I haven't arrived. You know, this is something we're continually working on, but we begin to instill in our children right from day dot, uh, you know, mm. boundaries and also explanations for things. Yeah. And although this is not a boundary per se, I remember taking our son through a cemetery explaining things at about the age of three or four. Now, yeah. what he took in then is completely different to what he takes in now. Yeah. But um, now I, I wouldn't sit there and, and um, show him war on television and say this is life. Yeah. So different circumstances, different things. But, yeah, it, it's it's a con- work in progress 
progress. There are the media throws new things, new platforms, new opportunities, new vices to entangle and ensnare the minds of our young people. Yeah, yeah. And and adults as well. Yeah, yeah. No, Dave, I, I really appreciate what Barna's actually said here, that parents are called to be both role models, and we generally accept that, but also gatekeepers for our children. That, to me, is an incredibly powerful lesson that I believe uh, we could certainly pick up on. And then there is that uh, scriptural saying, by beholding we become changed. Yeah. yeah. And um, instead of soaking our minds in culture, we need, and, and that can be not a bad thing at times, but we need to be soaking our minds in the Word of God far yeah. more than we ever do yeah. as Christians. Yeah. Folks, look, if you want to get hold of uh, any, either of these articles, uh, the first one comes from the Washington Times. It's uh, entitled, uh, Dear Christian Parents, You're Failing Miserably. And uh, that, uh, that particular um, uh, article uh, is uh, is certainly available on the on the web, and uh, the other is the original research that that um, article was written from. That uh, that article will direct you to. So I'd encourage you to have a have a look, see at it. I really think it's uh, it's very powerful and says something to us that uh, is incredibly challenging. Uh, guys, look, let's come to some uh, some music. Uh, this is uh, Keith Green. There is a redeemer. God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, Jesus, my
that is a uh, a musician from my era. Uh, wow, it's been so long since I've heard Keith Green. Uh, that takes me back to my uh, to my younger days. Keith Green, there is a redeemer, uh, a real a real musician from the uh, I think the nineteen eighties or, or thereabouts. Uh, now, look, guys, we do have actually for you a a giveaway, a book today. Uh, the giveaway is entitled Surprise. By love. Now, uh, this uh, this book uh, talks about the unexpected rescue of God's children. This is a devotional book, uh, and it's written by Elizabeth Talbot. Now, uh, our family for uh, our family worship each each evening, we're uh, we're reading from one of uh, Elizabeth Talbot's uh, books, and uh, uh, she has a, a a series. She's a, she's an acclaimed author, and uh, certainly we've been appreciating everything that she's been uh, been sharing uh, deeply spiritually and yet with a powerful thought and uh, it's the front cover this is the story of our creator redeemer and the greatest love surprise of all time it surprised adam and eve it surprised the deceitful uh, serpent it surprised the adulterous woman in john 8 it surprised the pharisees it surprised their disciples it even surprised heavenly angels and it continues to surprise us today surprised by love this is a beautiful devotional book that I, i believe you'll you'll greatly appreciate now look if you would like uh, this uh, this book. We're happy to send it to you. Uh, just text us here at our studio text number. Uh, that number is 04888-80811. That number again is 04888-80811. And uh, all you've got to do is uh, put in SA38. And no gap between those uh, SA and the 38. Just SA38. Uh, and uh, our friend Faithful, now Faithful to Robot. Uh, so our uh, he will uh, contact you and uh, he'll ask you for the details that uh, he needs to be able to forward this book uh, to you. You'll love uh, corresponding with our mate uh, Faithful. Um, so please, SA, just text SA38 uh, to our mobile number here at the studio. Uh, that number again is 488 11. Now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher, and David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in uh, South Oz. And this week we're taking as our theme, Biblical Morality in the Third Millennium. And today we're asking, is Biblical Morality out of date. Now, that's a, that's a huge, uh, a huge question. And Dave, we could take this uh, question from so many uh, different perspectives. Uh, you know, we've just had a look at that uh, uh, inventory that comes from Barna Research uh, saying that, hey, you know, even Christian parents are struggling to put boundaries in place. Uh, but of course, uh, boundaries, putting boundaries in place assumes that there is Actually, boundaries somewhere, and uh, so look. Let's uh, let's come to this subject. Uh, you know, uh, is biblical morality uh, is it out of date? Uh, no, it's not. In fact, um, I want to suggest that God created sex. God gave sex to human beings. That's a bit radical. Well, it's not really if you look at scripture. But but um, instead of that, I guess uh, many people today would think that. Uh, Christian Christianity inhibits or it kills sex, so to speak. Yeah, that yeah. it's uh, for old fuddy duddies, right? Yeah. But uh, God gave this incredible gift of sex. I want to suggest that sex is for marriage, mm-hmm. and marriage is for sex. 
and other things as well. Okay, okay. Um, so God, um, God wants human beings to save sex for marriage. There's this boundary he puts in place. Uh, and not because it's bad or dirty. He doesn't want it to be safe for marriage because it's bad or dirty, but because it's unique, because it's exclusive, and because it's wonderful. It isn't just something that should be casual. Mm. It's not just a feel-good moment of um, anything like that. Uh, it's about two people, the scriptures say, becoming one. So there is an incredible, you know, people talk about getting intimate. Mm-hmm. But that can just be a throwaway line of two people jumping into bed together. So you're really speaking against, for example, the one-night stand. Exactly. And that's what Jesus did in Matthew 19 when he was quizzed uh, by religious leaders. He, Jesus said this, he said, Matthew 19, verse 4 and 5, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made the male and female? Mm-hmm. In other words, our biology, our, biolo- our biological gender is set at creation. Um, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Mm-hmm. So they become one flesh when they two join together, a man and a woman, and there is a union, there is a marriage, they become one flesh. There is this, there is this um, coming together, this joining. Uh, and when marriage happens and then this happens, then sex is one of the most incredible gifts that God gifts, mm-hmm. gives this couple. Okay, okay. But what you're, what you're saying is that uh, this issue of morality, God himself does actually put boundaries around. I, I suppose myself, I could even jo- go. I suppose to the you know to the Ten Commandments. I mean, you know, most Christian denominations are well aware of the the Ten Commandments, and of course, one of those commandments is "Thou shalt not keep adultery." Now, you know, there are many people who would say that is something that is for fuddy duddies, until they find that their partners cheated on them. Uh, until there is a divorce and a separation and children are involved and property is involved. And then people will realize that the, the joy that was in that um, extramarital affair or that relationship uh, really has turned nasty, has turned sour. In other words, what we're saying here is that um, God is really putting some boundaries in place to protect the long-term value of relationship as opposed to the short-term uh, desire of the moment. And and yet this is what the world throws at us through culture, whether it's uh, through uh, sexual relationships or other things. You need the latest phone, the latest gadget. Uh, you need this. This is the biggest and the best. And then this comes to us uh, also, uh, uh, you know, thrown at us through sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, you need the youngest you can get or the most beautiful or the slimmest or, uh, you know, all of these sorts of things that are thrown at, at us in society and young people and they get things done to their bodies and all sorts of things mm-hmm. to make sure they're up with the latest trends and to make sure that they'll be acceptable to a partner. Wow. And wow. so when we disregard the boundaries that, that God places there, which aren't there to inhibit, but they're there to protect and allow us to experience fulfillment. Yeah. When those boundaries have, have degenerated, then we're left um, with uncertainty, 
lack of self-worth and value. Uh, we're left often in pain and um, often alone. And often it's, it's not sometimes, David, we just keep this as very much an individualistic thing. But to me, I'm just incredibly conscious of how much negative impact uh, these, um, you know, breaking that commandment has on the entire family. I know uh, myself as a uh, as a pastor, and I, I've got no doubt that you know in your own experience uh, you will have faced faced this type of situation many times. I, I, I well remember uh, as a as a younger pastor, I uh, actually had a uh, a gentleman, and uh, uh, it was very obvious that he was certainly starting to move into an affair with somebody who who wasn't his his wife, and uh, significantly it was somebody who was actually within the church as well. Um, and uh, uh, I went to uh, I went to visit him. And I said, hey, look, you know, I mean, this is big starting to, uh, well, I mean, he was quite offended that I should actually come and, and speak to him about uh, about this particular issue. But then at the very end, he actually said to me, he said, uh, uh, he said, pastor, he said, I want you to, um, I want you to know that my, my relationship hasn't been happy for many years. And I have prayed deeply about this. And, uh, uh, and I believe that this is God's will for my life. Now, David, how Where, where's you, the biblical worldview gone there? Where's the biblical worldview? I mean, you look at it. I, I, I was staggered, frankly, because you know, I, I said, to him, "I mean, has God changed His mind, perhaps, on this?" Because, and David, you know, to, to me, you know, so many times we hear, you know, Christians might uh, might criticise, you know, I mean, maybe uh, homosexual relationships. But you know, as, as I come back to um, the Word of God um, and and, and and I believe rightly so, but you know, as I come back to the uh, to the Word of God, you know, the Ten Commandments start by talking about protecting the individual family, and in this case, from a thing called adultery. And Gary, I think you touched on this in what you said that when um, something like adultery happens or some of these other sexual sins, uh, they run deep. They impact more than just the individual involved or the two individuals. They impact the families. They impact the children, the spouse. Um, it, it has long and lasting impacts. Yeah. So, yeah. so often people will say, as you've just said, that uh, someone said to you, I've, I've been in an unhappy marriage or unsatisfied for years. And, and so what is driving them is this need for self-fulfillment or yeah. what they want. Yeah. I yeah. need. Whereas I think true intimacy uh, from the Bible is about what I will give. Okay. So, so we have this, we have the biblical culture versus the current contemporary culture. Okay. And so, so really what's happening is scripture does actually challenge the entire cultural dynamic that we're certainly sensing in our in our world in our world today. We do. And and just one example, if you were to look and we won't look it up Gary, but if you were to look at Judges chapter 13 to 16, we have the story there of the strongest man that ever lived. Yeah. Samson. Uh, he was to be a judge or a deliverer of God's people. Uh, he was promised by God to a couple that was infertile. They were barren. Uh, they were old. Uh, God came and said, you're going to have a son. He's going to begin to deliver Israel. And God gave them instructions on what um, Manoah, Samson's father's uh, wife, Manoah's wife, was to do in pregnancy and beforehand. 
they asked for instruction of how they should raise the child. Uh, we read in Judges 14 that the Spirit came upon Samson, uh, be, you know, began to work on him. So he had this incredible life set up for him. Mm. And then you come to Judges 15, I think it is, and uh, he says he's, he's he went down to uh, Timnah, is it? A- and he went down and he saw a woman that he wanted and he said, yeah. get her for me, she pleases me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No boundaries. No boundaries. And that led to him later on spending time in Gaza with a prostitute. Yeah. It led him the third time to spend time with Delilah. Yeah. He dallied and danced and flirted with the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was tempted, he was allured, there was lust involved, and it ended up with um, the thing that had got him into trouble, his physical sight, uh, he lost. Mm-hmm. He lost his spiritual connection with God until he had hit rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. A- and he caused pain, his life was cut short, yeah. and he didn't reach the potential that God had planned for him. Yeah, yeah, and that's and, the same with each of us. Yeah, yeah, and, and certainly the the pain and the suffering that I've seen flow through families as a result of, for example, I mean, adultery is probably the the one that certainly the Ten Commandments are certainly certainly picks up up on. Uh, is it's. It's too hard to express. It, look, it is, Gary, and, and to minister uh, to both parties uh, as a minister or to be there for, for the injured is, is tragic. Mm, mm. Ga- Gary, um, you've, touched on, um, you've touched on something here, a- and Jesus says in Matthew 19, um, when again his question, Matthew 19 verses 1 to 10, this is about adultery. And essentially adultery, I guess we could typically describe, typically as um, a sexual affair with a person, uh, with another person or with one's, another person's spouse. Mm. Uh, and essentially that where one of them is probably married. Yeah. And in Matthew 19, 1 to 10, Jesus is asked about this whole divorce thing. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answered them in verse 4 of Matthew 19, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this ma- for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then it goes on, and he says that divorce was permitted because of the hardness of their hearts. And finally, in verse 9 of Matthew 19, Jesus says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her, who is divorced, commits adultery. Mm. So right from the beginning, marriage was to be a lifelong um, commitment, commitment, a lifelong journey, a lifelong, intimate, growing journey. Mm. Uh, intimacy uh, with deep spirituality, intimacy growing together emotionally and mentally and also physically and sexually. Mm. It wasn't meant to, to be broken. Yeah. And yet sin does that. And, and so the Bible speaks against adultery. Mm. In fact, um, one of the problems that we find in Scripture is um, when we read a list of those who are excluded from the kingdom of God, if you like, if that's the right word, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, verse, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 9 to 11, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteousness, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. So in amongst that list of people who, who choose to continue in that path, uh, people that uh, are fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, along with drunkards, in and other covetous, words, etc. What, what Paul and Peter and Christ is doing here in the New Testament is placing some boundaries in place to protect humanity in the long term. He's saying, hey, look, you know, if you want your life to be a life that is a life of fulfillment, there are certain boundaries you need to operate within. Now, that shouldn't shock us, Gary, because you think of athletes. They are given boundaries uh, of which they are to operate in if they want to achieve maximum success. There is rigid, strict training regimes that they have to put their bodies through to ensure that they are at peak performance. Uh, they go through this in order they can reach their ultimate fulfillment or, or, or the maximum their body can uh, put out, right? Mm. Now, why would it be any different when it comes from a spiritual perspective about what we do with our bodies? Yeah, and our minds, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's because the greatest sex organ is is the mind, and that is so important. I'm glad you said that, Dave, because a lot of people actually don't really realise that incredible reality. Look, Dave, let's come to some music if we if we can. Um, this is Alison Krauss and the Cox family. I know who holds tomorrow. I don't know. About tomorrow, I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from the sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't.
That was Alison Krauss and the Cox family. I know who holds tomorrow. Now, folks, look, we do have, uh, remember that, uh, that special book that we're, we are giving away, Surprised by Love by Elizabeth Talbot. A beautiful book. This is a devotional book. This is a sort of book you can get up first thing in the morning and spend some time reading and you'll be richly blessed, uh, with this, uh, this particular book. Uh, if you'd like, uh, the book Surprised by Love, uh, all you need to do is to text us here at, uh, at our studio. That number is 04, uh, 888 that's o four triple eight eight o eight eleven, and uh, and we'll get it to you. And all you need to do is to uh, uh, send us the code SA for South Australia thirty eight, and uh, uh, and we will then uh, forward that book directly to you by the fastest uh, possible means. Now it's time for us to. We do need to bring this uh, this together. Uh, and and to me, I really appreciate David this uh, this emphasis that you you're talking about the importance of placing boundaries that in within the scriptures what we have is a book that presents for our protection boundaries uh, that Give us uh, hope for the future. I mean, it's so easy to actually have in place something whereby I have pleasure for a moment and then pain for myself and my family long term. Whereas God turns around and says, no, 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 I want you to have pleasure long term. And some of our listeners would have experienced that. that, that and that's that, so true. 
fleeting moment of pleasure which leads to pain. And in our ministries, no doubt we have seen many, many people, too many people, that have thought they're on a really good thing, that it was going to be lasting, and it's left them yeah. left them hollow and empty and in pain mm. and guilt. David, look, there is one question on this issue of morality, though, that I do want to ask you uh, about, and it's this. Uh, it's actually spoken about in uh, in Matthew chapter chapter six, because uh, Christ says something that is actually uh, quite challenging to us uh, today. Uh, this is uh, this is what he says. Uh, You've heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not commit adultery," but I say to you, whoever looks to a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her uh, already in his heart. Now, of course, today uh, we, we live in a, a day and age where certainly pornography uh, is, uh, uh, is everywhere you, you it's look. Rampant. Whether it's yeah. rampant, whether it's on, you know, I can, when I was growing up, when I was at high school, I know that, you know, a pornography, to get, to get some pornography, you had to go to the news agent, you had to go under the counter, and, you know, perhaps you might find a, uh, a Playboy magazine. But, uh, these days, of course, it's so easy. Now, look, um, is there, something that you you would say on that yeah look i would gary just real quickly though i saw a a survey from uh, 2020 in the united states where it said that pornography increases the infidelity rate by 300 percent 56 percent of divorces involve one party having obsessive interest in porn wow so in America, the studies undertaken, this is on Christianity.com, uh, stated that pornography increases the infidelity rate by 300%. And not only that, but um, uh, 55% of married men and 25% of married women say that they watch porn at least once a month. That's incredible. So, so, so Gary, what you read for us there in Matthew 5, verse 28, it... Uh, Kind of take my glasses off there for a minute um, to try and read. Uh, it says there that, um, you know, Jesus says, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the key, isn't it? Mm. Um, the Bible doesn't specifically mention pornography. No. Um, however, you know, I've been through Pompeii. I'm not sure if you've been through yeah, there. Yeah. And um, the artwork on some of the walls and um, – you know, through these old ruins, is still very clear, and it is pornographic yeah. artwork. Yeah. Um, so pornography obviously existed. Uh, it was rampant, I think, in the Roman and the Greek cultures. Mm. And um, even though the Bible doesn't specifically say it, uh, the Bible has a catch-all, and it's here. Whoever looks at a woman lusts for has already committed adultery. And often in some of these these verses in, in Matthew 5, in Matthew 19, in 1 Corinthians, um, one of the Greek words that used is, por- is pornia, yeah. which is often translated as fornication. Mm-hmm. And that is a catch-all for all sexual sin, mm-hmm. which would include pornography. And this very verse that you've taken us to, Gary, where it says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her, yeah. Now, pornography clearly involves looking at someone of uh, the opposite sex, or in some case, it could be the same sex, with the lustful intent. Mm-hmm. It's it's about arousal, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, already here, Jesus is saying, when we look at a woman or look at a man, whatever it may be, um, and you look at them lustfully, you may not have committed the physical act 
Of in the other country. words, once again, what Christ is doing is putting in place a boundary. He's wanting to actually protect because, of course, what pornography does is actually uh, impacts the mind. It changes the way the mind functions. And, of course, you correctly point out that the biggest sexual organ a person's got is actually their mind. And uh, when an individual is uh, thinking in a particular direction, it actually changes uh, your view of, for example, of women. It does. It um, leads to objectification. It, um, often pornography, if you read what's out there, um, it, it's, it's like it is a drug essentially where people have to get a, a bigger fix and a bigger fix and a bigger fix and they tend to move on to various depths of pornography. Yeah. Um, and they lose the intimacy. Yeah. Um, with a life partner. Yeah. Because yeah. what they have been viewing or watching or reading uh, doesn't match up with the reality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and Paul, I think, hits this on the head. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Mm. whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Yeah. Satan knows clearly that our, our larger sex organ is the brain. And, and the way in is through the senses, mm-hmm. through the eyes, through the ears. And, and so we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our minds to keep out what is, Paul also says in Philippians, doesn't he, think on these things yeah. that are pure and noble and, and, and what you're saying here is actually incredibly powerful because within our society, even our society places boundaries. It does say, for example, that, uh, pornography for children, children need to be protected from pornography. What the scriptures do is go and put a far more reasonable boundary because what they're saying is that there are some things that are wrong. Full with, stop. Full stop. Regardless and of age. Words, or? They are simply placing, a, the scriptures put a boundary that is, is designed to protect Humanity. I, as I looked at this, I say, I say, hey, you know, maybe the scriptures are actually ahead of their time. Oh, they are, Gary. And, and look, we will need to finish shortly and you wind me up. But I want to share a few differences between lust and love. Uh, lust is non-committal. Love is committed. Lust is sudden. Love is gradual. Lust is selfish. Love is unselfish. Lust is untrustworthy. Love is trustworthy. Lust is impatient. Love is patient. Lust is faithless. Love is faithful. Lust is uncontrolled desire. Love is controlled desire. Lust is emotionally shallow. Love is emotionally deep. Lust is based on fantasy, while love is based on reality. Lust is full of emotion. Love is full of devotion. Lust is driven by one's passion. Love is chosen by one's will. Lust focuses on external looks. Love focuses on internal character. Lust uses faulty reasoning. Love uses uses solid reasoning. Lust seeks to get happiness. Love seeks to give happiness. Lust can't wait to get. Love can't wait to give. And that is all then wrapped up in 1 Corinthians 13, which I think might have been looked at earlier in the week, this love chapter. And, and of course, David, what you've actually uh, summed up there is so beautiful because so much of what is defined as love on Hollywood, for example, is in fact not love. It's actually lust. 
and it's modeling to us. And so if as adults, as parents, if we're not gatekeepers and then if we're not modeling through our own actions, disaster awaits. Indeed, indeed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you for making this beautiful thing called love and sexuality. Uh, Lord, thank you. Uh, for giving that to us. But Lord, thank you also for putting boundaries in place uh, for our long-term happiness. Uh, Lord, it's it's so easy uh, to look at the, uh, the short-term uh, desire as being happiness, but you want us happy in the long term. Uh, Lord, you want to protect our families. You want to protect relationship. Lord, I want to say thank you for giving us those boundaries and we pray that, uh, Lord, uh, you might uh, bless every person who is listening to us at this particular time. We just ask and we pray in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan spend the entire time looking at the question, sexual sin. Can I be forgiven? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. 